well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad you're with us on the program today. Also, uh, very pleased to have my friend Ryan Petty, one of my uh, favorite people, uh, with us on the program. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about the uh, shooting at Michigan State University, the reaction from Democrats, but uh, also what we're not talking about, right? While folks like uh, Governor uh, Gretchen Whitmer are out there calling for more gun control laws, what are we not discussing that actually could have an impact on these uh, active shooters and prevent these types of events from taking place without infringing on a fundamental civil right? Take a look and a listen. Ryan, thanks so much for joining me today. It's good talking to you again, sir. Cam, it's great to be back with you today. Thank you. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, listen, I, I think I speak for all of us at uh, Bearing Arms, both uh, your fellow contributors and our readers, um, and just, you know, expressing again our sympathy. I know that uh, yesterday uh, had to have been a very, very rough day for you, um, both in terms of, you know, uh, your own personal life. And then, again, the news media just fixating on the uh, shooting at Michigan State University. And and again, Ryan, the the attitude seems to be um, among a lot of folks in the media, certainly among a lot of politicians, right? We heard this from one of the Michigan uh, representatives yesterday. Bleep your thoughts and prayers. If you don't believe that we can ban and arrest our way out of this problem, if you don't believe that we can, you know, criminalize the Second Amendment and, and stop mass shootings, then you are a villain, right? You're, you're, you can be a hero or a villain. And the heroes are the ones who are promoting these common sense gun safety laws. And the villains are those who say, listen, we need to go in another direction. So what does it feel like to be a villain today, Ryan? Boy, that tweet or that letter that that uh, representative or senator from Michigan sent out just set me off yesterday. I was trying so hard to make February 14th. I was going to stay off social media. I had prepared every meaningful thing in my life to be able to stay off social media on February 14th. Unfortunately, the tragedy at Michigan State and the reaction by gun control advocates I couldn't stand, I I just couldn't stand by and let them do to Michigan State and to to those families and students what they did to the students in Parkland and to our families uh, after our tragedy. I had to step in and say something. That letter was disgusting. First of all, it showed no decorum or respect for the office that that gentleman holds and uh, quite frankly shouldn't hold, I think, after the the next election. Um, But it also showed such disrespect for caring Americans of all political persuasions that just wanted to express sympathy and condolences to those families and, and, uh, you know, the families of the victims. And we should be better than that. And he should be better than that. Shame on him. I I can't disagree with you. I I think you're right. But, you know, and unfortunately, it's not just this one representative. Right. There 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 is this mindset um that i mentioned that you know if you aren't on board with whatever they're proposing right whether it's a, a ban on so-called assaultants raising the age to purchase firearms from 18 to 21 uh red flag laws ammunition background check whatever it is if you're not on board right you're part of the problem and yet yeah, I mean, go ahead go ahead no you're exactly right look an hour after the tragedy we didn't even have the suspect in custody we didn't even know who the suspect was or Gun control advocates like Shannon Watts were out 
with their laundry list of prescriptions for how we prevent these things from happening, they didn't even know the facts at that point. And that that's what's been so frustrating as a family member of a victim, um, one in a unique position, quite frankly, to our fairly unique position, right, of being asked to investigate the tragedy or be a part of the commission that's investigating it is that as anxious as I want, there was nobody that wanted to know why this happened to my daughter, Elena, more than I did. But I waited for the facts. We did the investigative work and our prescription for how to solve this or or and I won't even go as far as to say is solve it. I don't know that we can 100 percent solve it, but we can reduce the likelihood and our prescriptions came out of what we learned in the investigation. It didn't come from our political beliefs or preconceived notions or, quite frankly, in the case of, of many of these gun control activists, attempts to literally fundraise on the graves of these victims. It's disgusting. It is disgusting, but you know it's it's a part of their playbook, uh, their their literal playbook. About ten years ago, there was a document that came out called "Preventing Gun Violence Through Effective Messaging." Um, and if you've never read this, I'll, I'll send you a link because it's fascinating. But one of the things that they talk about is after a high profile shooting, and that's how they describe it. Don't wait for the facts to be known. Right, get out in front of the cameras as quickly as possible. Hop on social media as soon as you can. And they don't they don't use the word exploit, but that's what they're talking about, exploiting these tragedies. And don't wait, uh, they say, for, you know, for the specifics to be known, because, well, the specifics might not meet your agenda. Right. So just use this tragedy and call for whatever gun control laws you can think of. And that's exactly what we've seen. Or don't even get specific. Just say we need to do more. Right. Don't even offer specific policies. And we saw we saw that, too, where people say this is not, a you know, we have to do more. What we're doing is not enough. But they, they don't offer any specifics. And meanwhile, as you say, when you wait for the facts to be known, all of a sudden a very different picture emerges, right? So we'll know more about the suspect in this Michigan State shooting as time goes on. But we already know, for instance, that he had previously been charged with a felony uh, for carrying a concealed firearm without a license. Now, we could argue whether or not that should be a felony offense. I would say no, but it is a felony offense in Michigan. Instead, he was allowed to plea bargain down to a misdemeanor. So he did not lose his uh, ability to lawfully possess a firearm or to lawfully purchase it. A couple of years ago, uh, his family says his mom died. And after that, his mental health really deteriorated. His dad talked about how his teeth was falling out. Um, he really just wasn't taking care of his, his personal hygiene. He wasn't combing his hair. You know, all of these, Ryan, are, are, are gigantic red flags. And it's echoed in the Secret Service report that came out a couple of weeks ago talking about what, if any, characteristics of a an active shooter there might be? And a lot of them did have previous contact with law enforcement. A lot of them did have that defining moment or event in their life that kind of made their mental health take a, a turn for the worse. And all of these, I think, are opportunities to intervene, right? Not necessarily because we want to stop a mass shooting, but because we see somebody in crisis. And why isn't that? enough reason to say, okay, that person needs some help. Why does it have to be, well, we think he's going to shoot up a school or we think he's going to shoot up a grocery store. Why can't it just be that person is suffering? That person needs help. That person needs to get their life in, in order so they don't harm themselves or others. Or before, maybe even before it gets to that point, when do we get to have that conversation? 
I'd love to have it now. And maybe you and I can start it and, and have a little bit of that conversation. But these warning signs are there. And in, in, in the vast majority of these uh, incidents, there were there are warning signs. In fact, the warning signs get communicated to other people that know about them. And we're, we're learning more about this Michigan uh, state shooter. We're, I, I think we'll learn that uh, you know, family members, we're learning family members were already concerned. Uh, neighbors had uh, called law enforcement. He was, he was, you know, shoot, he had set up a target range in his backyard in the city, which I, I don't think there are very, very many cities in the United States where you can do that legally. So we had law enforcement contact. There were opportunities to intervene here. And I, I'll go back to what I said at the beginning. Americans were compassionate, caring people. We want to help those in crisis, but we've got to get that information. We've got to break down the barriers that prevent, quite frankly, government agencies that fail in their mission to protect the public or provide for the common welfare. Uh, here's a guy that was in crisis. And because agencies of our government, state, local, and federal, don't don't communicate what they know in these situations. It creates a problem. Now, look, I'm concerned about the civil liberties impacts of what I'm saying, but the alternative that we're facing is infringement on the rights of law-abiding citizens as a solution. That's what the other side is proposing. The other side is saying, look, these things are really hard to, they're too difficult to stop. The only way we can do this is, is to infringe on your Second Amendment rights. And, and we're seeing even infringements on First Amendment rights of speech and other things. That's going on. So one side is saying we have to restrict liberty and freedom if we want to be safe and secure. The other argument is, well, we got to do a better job of protecting liberties and rights and providing for the common welfare. And part of that is just communicating these threats and and doing law enforcement in a different way you know they they went out and they made an arrest and and we we allow these these guys that commit gun crimes in particular to plead down these cases um you know to where it just becomes probation it's not a felony doesn't show up in a background check and i am so sick and tired cam of hearing about universal background checks enhanced background checks you know XYZ background checks. Garbage in, garbage out. Background checks are completely ineffective if there's nothing on that criminal history that would prohibit a person from purchasing a firearm. So I don't want to hear about background checks anymore as a potential solution until we get serious about getting tough on criminals that use guns. But I also I also want to, you know, come back to you know, your point on these warning signs. There are warning signs. These family members knew uh, there was a grievance here, a loss of uh, the mother, as I understand it, um, which was may have been a triggering event. And nobody stepped in and did anything about this. So these these um, grievances fester. And ultimately, and, and we may not know for a while uh, why exactly he chose Michigan State and why he chose to go after innocent uh, students uh, as as his targets. Um, uh, perhaps we'll have an opportunity to learn why he did it. But until we focus on solving that problem and come up with solutions there, um, this idea that we can, you know, ban our way to, to to safety and security is the argument that the other side's making, and we've got to counter it. It, 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 absolutely. You're right. And I think one of the, the counter arguments is what you just mentioned. Look, uh, let's talk about reform. 
Because what is the point? Look, if you've got a, a crumbling criminal justice system, if you've got a broken mental health system, what is the point of putting more laws on the books when those laws have to be enforced through these broken systems, right? Uh, even if you like the idea of gun control in theory, you have to acknowledge the reality that these systems, that these institutions are in need of some serious reform. Now, I'm not in favor of new gun control legislation, uh, but I think it's even more incumbent that we have these civic institutions on a functional level, right? And when 97% of felony cases end up plea bargain, when almost every state in the country has a severe shortage of mental health workers, you know, I was just watching the oral arguments um, uh, yesterday in a Ninth Circuit case out of Hawaii where they're talking about uh, once you purchase a farm in Hawaii, you've got five days to bring that gun in and have it inspected by the local police. You know, there's a finite number of police officers in Honolulu. So if you've got an officer sitting in a, an office somewhere looking at somebody's legally purchased firearm, you know, to make sure that uh, that it's OK, that's an officer that's not out there combating violent crime. Right. And when you are as a government agency, a direct or, or a or a politician directing all of your energy and focus on restricting the rights of law abiding citizens, as opposed to, again, taking a serious look at the criminal justice system, taking a serious look at improving mental health access. Um, again, I think you're making, it's not just that you're not doing the right thing. You're making things worse, right? Because you are distracting from the, the real efforts that, and I'm with you, Ryan, I don't think we're going to reduce the number of mass shootings in this country to zero any more than we're going to reduce the number of drunk drivers in this country to zero or armed robbers. There are always going to be bad people who are doing bad things. But we can reduce the number of these attacks. And I think, again, you don't do it by going after a fundamental constitutional right exercised by 100 million Americans. That, that's that, that Again, regardless of what you think about the Second Amendment, that's just a dumb way to address this problem. Um, and a much more focused approach, I think, would be much more successful in preventing these types of horrific attacks and ensuring, again, that the person either gets the treatment that they need in the in the mental health system or that they are dealt with in the criminal justice system in a way that is going to remove that threat from society. Hey, just look at the probabilities. I mean, is it more likely that a law-abiding American, you know, gun owner uh, is going to commit the next mass shooting or, or you know, a previous uh, person with criminal record? I mean, the probabilities would tell us it's probably the the criminal that's shown a propensity for violence or used a gun in the commission of a crime in the past, right? That's where you want to, if you're going to, you're going to bet on this, if you're going to make some investments as a, as the Democrats like to say, I would invest in the probability that the person that's already demonstrated propensity for violence or demonstrated a willingness to use a firearm in the commission of a crime is probably more likely to do it in the future. So let's make our investments there. Now, the arguments we hear all the time are, well, we don't, you know, the reason we let these prosecutors let these uh, criminals plead down is because we don't have the capacity. Look, we just spent hundreds of billions of dollars on COVID relief efforts. If we have a political will, we can do this. And maybe there is some sort of emergency provision that needs to be put forward where we spend more money on our criminal courts and make them uh, invest in technology, invest in more resources, make them more efficient. Um, don't allow these uh, 
plea bargains to happen so so quickly because that's the wrong signal back to the system right to the criminal element out there when you when they know they're not going to be treated justly in the system they're going to be allowed to plead down and and walk uh as it were then the incentives or the disincentive to commit a crime or to use a gun or to steal a gun and use it in the commission of a of a crime the disincentives aren't there and these people look we all operate on incentives and disincentives it's 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 no different for the criminal element right so we've got to come up with other uh ideas here and again i think the, the Secret Service report, I'm so glad you raised it again, because here's another report from the United States Secret Service. It does a fantastic job protecting our elected officials uh, from, you know, hundreds of threats um, that are saying, look, here are the characteristics, not a profile, as it were, but here are the characteristics. Here are the things we've seen, that the commonalities between these attackers. Um, we should do policing differently. We should look at these as behavioral threats and we should manage those threats. It's not a one and done. Hey, just because I'm a cop and I went out to your house and I had a conversation with you and I arrested you or I decided I didn't need to arrest you, it's not over at that point. It's now, okay, there's a crisis going on in this person's life. What resources can be brought to bear uh, through the system to help this person get out of whatever uh, situation they're in? And that's that's the job of law enforcement, unfortunately. That that's the new job of law enforcement. Yeah, you're right. And and again, I think we do need to be uh, doing things differently in a lot of different regards. And I think that you're right. I, I think that not only look, Second Amendment supporters should not automatically be in the position of uh, having to say, OK, no, it's not gun control. Here's what will work. Right. Ideally, we're again, we're fighting for our Second Amendment rights. We, don't, we, we shouldn't have to be the criminal justice experts, but. Uh, in reality, uh, if we're saying no, not that, then I think that, yeah, it is incumbent on us to say, let's do this instead, because there are a lot of people who I don't think are innately in favor of gun control, um, but I think they're hearing more gun control solutions, quote unquote, right? They're they're hearing Democrats say, well, here's how we solve this problem by banning guns. Um, and a lot of times I think we get stuck on well, no, because that's a violation of our constitutional rights. And I, I do think that as part of defending our fundamental civil liberties, part of that argument does need to be, here's what works better, right? Not just here's something different. Here's a different approach. Here's a better approach. It is more successful at combating violent crime. It leads to fewer arrests overall when implemented correctly, and it protects uh, the, the right to keep and bear arms. I mean, what there are all kinds of strategies, whether it's, you know, targeted deterrence, the micro police that we're seeing in Dallas, Texas, uh, where, which has reduced homicides by, I think, 30 uh, percent in a constitutional carry city, which shouldn't happen, according to gun control activists. Right. There are success stories that we can point to. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't be defending our, our fundamental rights. But I think part of that defense has to be here's why the gun control advocates are wrong. And here is a better way. A, a more uh, effective way to protect people's fundamental safety and ensure that they still have access to their fundamental right of self-defense. I couldn't agree more, Cam. Look, we've got to make sure that the left doesn't change the fundamental meaning of the Second Amendment. So I think we're right to stand up and say, no, this is what the founders meant. This is what the Second Amendment really means. We can't allow them to alter the meaning of the Second Amendment. Having said that, 
I agree with you. It is incumbent on us to say, okay, here's some better ideas. Here's some things that are working. Let's point to those examples uh, like you shared with Dallas. I'll point to some of the things we're doing in schools in Florida to protect our, our students and teachers and staff at school. Are they perfect? No. Will they ever stop 100% of these things? No, they won't. But they give us our best chance of uh, protecting uh, innocent lives. And they don't require infringement on our God-given liberties like the Second Amendment. Yeah. Well, uh, Ryan, listen, I, I, I could honestly talk for hours with you about this topic, as you well know. Uh, but I'm really glad that you could join me on the program today. I hope we're able to do this again very, very soon because uh, I always enjoy spending time with you. Um, I, I love your perspective and your your insight here. Um, so thank you for everything that you're doing. And I'm really glad we got a chance to spend some time together today. Great to be with you, Cam. I appreciate Ryan joining us on the program. And um, yeah, we're going to be having uh, Ryan back again very, very soon. Right now, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day and our recidivist report. We'll start there. We we're just talking about with Ryan. Three arrested after chase that led to the death of a Fountain, Colorado police officer. All have extensive criminal records. Yeah, all of them. Colorado Springs, Colorado. Well, that's the uh, Colorado Springs Gazette reporting on this story about the uh, death of uh, Fountain police officer Julian Becerra. And um, it should be noted. Over the past 10 years, Colorado's implemented a lot of gun control laws, right? Bans on so-called large-capacity magazines, universal background checks, red flag laws, uh, and they're aiming at even more this year. Meanwhile, here's what's actually happening to folks who are convicted of violent crimes. The three people involved in a car chase that led to the death of Fountain Police Officer Julian Becerra have an extensive history of auto theft, robbery, and other crimes, with two of the suspects having active warrants out for their arrests, when the accident uh, involving Becerra occurred, it was back on February the 2nd when Becerra attempted to arrest the three suspects who led law enforcement on a car chase across Fountain in a stolen vehicle. Uh, according to the Colorado Gazette, uh, Colorado Springs Gazette, an affidavit for Denisha Pacheco, one of the three arrested after the incident, uh, provided some details. Uh, about 4 p.m. on February the 2nd, the Fountain Police Department was looking for the stolen vehicle out of Pueblo County, being driven by a guy named uh, Devon Bo Bobian. According to the affidavit, a few hours later, police found the stolen car, tried to get Bobian to pull over, but he took off instead, driving 60 to 80 miles an hour in a 25 mile an hour zone. After a, a brief pursuit, the 31 year old Bobian, as well as two other people in the car, the 28 year old woman Pacheco, as well as 32 year old Anthony Vallejos, tried to steal a different car at a uh, gas station in Fountain. Approaching a woman pumping gas, one of the men told the woman he had a gun, demanded she hand over her car keys. The woman refused, and when they saw police approaching, they returned to their original vehicle and then left the gas station. Less than five minutes later, Bobian lost control of the car and crashed. All three of the people in the car attempted to flee on foot. Uh, while attempting to apprehend the trio, Officer Becerra fell off a bridge and fell about 40 feet. He was in critical condition until this past weekend when he was pronounced dead because of the injuries that he suffered in the fall. Um, court records, again, show that all three individuals, well-known to law enforcement, Bobian had two warrants out for his arrest at the time of the incident. One, a misdemeanor charge of unauthorized absence. Uh, the second for motor vehicle theft and felony criminal mischief. Uh, according to an affidavit acquired by the Colorado Springs Gazette, Bobian was staying in a community corrections facility in Pueblo at the time after he'd been released from the Department of Corrections just six months into an 18-month sentence 
for pleading guilty to one count of weapon possession by a previous offender back in March. Yeah. A prohibited person illegally possessing a firearm in Colorado, where Democrats right now are trying to ban guns, trying to ban, well, they have banned, quote unquote, large capacity magazines, right? And trying to impose all kinds of new infringements on legal gun owners. What happens if you are a prohibited person in Colorado caught in possession with a firearm? You get sentenced to 18 months. You do six months at basically a, a community corrections facility, at a place where you're free to go during the day, but you got to go report at night. Unbelievable. December 10th, 2022, Bobian allegedly told the staff at the uh, program that he was going to the hospital, but he never checked into the hospital. He never returned to the uh, community corrections facility, which is why a warrant was issued. He had been on the run ever since. He had also picked up an additional case on January 24th, uh, where he and others accused of breaking into a Pueblo business using a stolen car and stealing over 100 gallons of gasoline. Yeah. Uh, back in, uh, let's see, Vallejo had three open cases in Pueblo County, uh, two misdemeanor cases for violating probation, one case where he faces 12 charges, including stalking, menacing, and harassment. Vallejo is also a convicted felon. 2021, he pleaded guilty to felony menacing with a weapon and was given a sentence of two years supervised probation. For felony menacing, he posted a $2,500 bond following his first probation violation, but was never arrested for the second probation violation or for the additional criminal case. And the Colorado Springs Gazette says Vallejo has a well-documented criminal history in Pueblo County over the last 10 years. 2019, he pleaded guilty to controlled substance possession, sentenced to a year in jail. 2015, he pleaded guilty to one kind of aggravated robbery with a weapon. and was given a sentence of just two years in the Department of Corrections. In 2012, he pleaded guilty to aggravated motor vehicle theft, was given 40 months in the Department of Corrections. This guy has gotten more time behind bars for stealing a car than for stalking and menacing and harassment. It's unreal. And again, this is the criminal justice system as it works today. And rather than fix this problem, Democrats around the country just want to add more laws to the books. Aim not at violent criminals, not at repeat offenders. Aimed at law-abiding, responsible gun owners. Turning them in to felons if they dare exercise their right to keep and bear arms. And again, this is what happens if you are convicted of a violent felony or offered a plea to a violent felony. Right? Slap on the wrist. Little, if any, time behind bars. And then you're on your merry way. Today's Armed Citizen Story. Uh, from Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri, where police say a man was shot and killed in a failed carjacking uh, Wednesday morning. We don't have a lot of details because this incident is so fresh, but um, this was apparently uh, in the 1300 block of North Tucker. Police say a man attempted to rob a driver in a white Chevy Malibu while he was getting gas. But the victim apparently was armed himself and shot and killed the suspect. The suspect ran about a half mile from the scene, later collapsed and died. Um, at this point, again, don't have a lot of details. But based on the preliminary investigation, this would certainly appear to be an act of uh, armed self-defense. We'll uh, keep our eyes open for any updates and hopefully be able to give you some on uh, tomorrow's program. Uh, finally, today, in the right place, at the right time, we'll be able to do the right thing. A trio of fourth graders in Flandreau, South Dakota, who uh, were in the right place at the right time and able to help a woman who had fallen outside in the snow and had been lying there 
for six hours. I mean, that that could have been very, very serious. Um, Ashton Smith Cannell, Joshua Weston, and Wakanyan Brushbaker were uh, outside playing in the snow back on February the 8th, and they heard uh, a cry for help. Um, an older woman had fallen, 75-year-old Shirley Miller, and uh, she was laying in the snow. Uh, Joshua Weston said, we went up the hill. We were gonna, they were going to show me what they had built. And we started seeing someone or hearing someone yelling for help. Um, apparently, Shirley Miller had gone outside to untangle her dog's leash and then slipped in a patch of ice and fell and was there yelling for hours. But nobody had heard her until the three boys heard her. Bruce Baker says, we decided to go tell an adult. Smith Cannell says, we heard her yelling for help. We went to get his mom, and then we drove around for a while, and we found her laying there. Joshua Weston's mom, Jenny Johnson, um, was the mom in question. She says, they all came around to the house screaming that somebody was yelling for help. We needed to get in the car and figure out where it was coming from. So she did. She drove the uh, kids around for about 15 minutes until they found Ms. Miller. Johnson says, she was laying in the backyard, and I told the kids to stay in the car. I ran around the side of the house, and that's why I found her lying in the snow. She put a jacket over the woman, called for police and uh, EMS. But she says it was the boys who rescued the woman. She says as soon as the boys came around the corner of the house, they saw her laying there. She started crying and calling them her angels. And she was thanking them. She was very happy and relieved. Uh, the uh, three received an unsung hero award at their uh, local school. And uh, Shirley Miller talked to uh, uh, KELO TV uh, via telephone as she's recovering and talked about how special the uh, three boys are credits them for uh, saving her life as well. Uh, next week, by the way, the uh, Flandreau South Dakota City Council will uh, also officially recognize these three uh, fourth graders. So again, in the right place at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing, never too young to help, a person in need. So kudos to you kids. Now that is going to do it for this edition of Bearing Arms Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program as always. And I'm looking forward to being back with you again tomorrow. Until then, make sure you check out BearingArms.com. However, we got a lot of stuff going on on the website. Uh, we're covering all of the court cases, the uh, good and bad legislation that's uh, being debated in state houses around the country. And if you like what you see, I would always encourage you to become a VIP member at Bearing Arms. Just go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. As our way of saying thanks for showing your support, we're going to give you exclusive content, news stories, and analysis you won't get anywhere else, because your support does matter, and it really does make a difference. So thank you again. All right. Have a great rest of your hump day Wednesday. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.